But don't think that decision to recognize Israel is an easy one. I had to make a compromise with the Arabs and divide Palestine. The Jews wanted to chase all the Arabs in the Tigris and Euphrates River, and the Arabs wanted to chase all the Jews in the Red Sea. And I was trying, what I was trying to do was to find a homeland for the Jews and still be just for the Arabs. But when you go into a thing of that kind, the people you help most are the ones that get most angry with you. Both of them were against me on the situation. But as president of the United States, I paid no attention to him, carried out what I thought was right, and I have the support of the Congress, and I can do it, which is unusual in these days. Can you tell us specifically that a lot of Jewish people were against you, too? Oh, well, there were a lot of Jewish people against me because they wanted the whole Palestine, as I say. They wanted to drive all the Arabs into the Tigris and Euphrates River. Welcome to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit. We take a look at the issues both in and out of the church via teaching and interviews. The goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener. Our prayer is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. Welcome back to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit. That opening was a clip from an uh, interview with Pres- then-President Harry S. Truman, President of the United States, and he's explaining his decision of putting the, the Jews back into Palestine and what the problems were. And so he knew he was putting together two people who we're going to be fighting, but he made the choice anyway. All right, and he had to support a Congress. Hmm. Okay, so that's a little bit more on the, along the lines of the historical issue that kind of helped created the mess that we're in now today. Just wanted you all to hear that in his own words. That was President Harry S. Truman. Okay, so. I guess we try to be factual here. So today, we're going to take a look. I'm wrapping up the biblical perspective, and we're going to start crossing into the historical perspective as to how we got where we are. So we quick review. We know we see Abraham and Isaac and Ishmael. They, they, the mothers didn't like each other. The conflict passed on to their children. Jacob and Esau was prophesied two nations are struggling within their womb. So they were fighting before they even got out of the womb. So that shows you how ancient this war is. And then Jacob cheats his brother out of the birthright and the blessing. And Esau decides to kill him. And eventually he marries into Ishmael. So Esau and Ishmael are united against Isaac and Jacob. And here you go. Now somebody brought up to me that the people who are living in Israel right now are not actual Jews And I guess they have their own reasons for saying so. I would make the case that some, not all, I I don't think that, um, I don't think it's 100%. There there are some questions, but that would take a little bit more research to figure out. I I wouldn't just draw the conclusion that they are not, in fact, the Jews who belong there. But I do believe that some of them who are there are not really Jewish. I do suspect that. Um, but that's for another podcast. We'll do something about that a little later on. But for now, let's just go with what we have at the moment. Um, and I will bring up some questions that some uh, other things that I've been hearing chatter from somewhat reliable sources. And uh, so there are some questions about who's actually over there, who is Jewish and who is not over there. It, it may be even possible that some of the Palestinians, though they may not be aware of it just yet, they are Jewish. Oh, yeah. So it, it's complicated is what I'm trying to tell you. And hopefully when you get done with this podcast, you realize it's complicated. There's no quick, easy answer um, because we don't even know who is who in the zoo. We're still trying to figure that out. Now, God knows where his people are. But here's the good news. And here's what I really want you to understand. God knows who is who. God can figure it out. And when the time comes, 
the right people who are supposed to be there will be there and the wrong people won't be. Now, who that is, I don't know. That's reserved only for God. Uh, he alone would know who that would be. I could not tell you that. And anybody who tells you they can tell you that, they don't know either. There's a lot of speculation and conjecture and guessing. So having said that, that's why I call it scrambled eggs. The egg is scrambled. And once the egg is scrambled, you can't unscramble it. And the only one who can do that is God. But again, when we try to help prophecy, when we try to fulfill scripture, when we try to, oh, the Bible says they're supposed to have this land, therefore you give it back to them. What if that's true? Well, I'm sure that it is. Uh, let me put it, let me rephrase that. It is true. God wants them there. But here's the question. When does he want them there? What if we put them back too early? What if the people we put there are not the ones who are supposed to be really supposed to be there? So we don't know, do we? Be that as it may, when the time comes, God will fix this. And only those who have to die will die. But every time, like, 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 uh, like Sarah, when we try to help God, we usually end up getting in the way. Because God has a time and a place for everything. And our problem is that God doesn't move according to our timing. Therefore, we conclude we, he needs help or we have to do it ourselves. And then that's when things tend to go south. Yeah, that's when then things tend to go south. So with that in mind, we're going to take a little talk today about the context. About, and what we're going to learn today is about the patience of God and the justice of God and how that relates to the love of God for his people. Uh, it's very interesting that you have this dynamic tension. On the one hand, God is holy. He's of holier eyes than to behold iniquity. And the universe is designed in such a way that it demands justice. That's why God deals with sin and he deals with it harshly because it disrupts the creation. It warps it. It distorts it. And to keep creation beautiful, to keep creation the way he made it, which is supposed to be something wonderful for us. The Bible says God gives us all things richly to enjoy. And so not only are we supposed to be prepping for the afterlife in this world by knowing Christ as Lord and master of our lives, but also while we're here in this world, we can also enjoy natural things. You go on vacations. I encourage you to take trips, to travel, to see the world, to, to enjoy the natural creation of beauty and creation of God. Um, you know, I don't believe life is intended by God here to be just one misery after another. Uh, especially those of us who live here in the West. Now, for some people, that's exactly what it is. Uh, right now, for the Palestinian people, um, it's one misery after another right now because you got bombs falling, right? So, and for the Jewish nation, you got this one misery after another because you got people coming across the border kidnapping people. So, those of us who can, I suggest you enjoy life. Uh, just live, don't just merely survive. Live, don't just merely, I know we're living to live again, but we're also living to live as well. And you can walk and chew gum at the same time. So enjoy your life while you can. And natural things, I intend to. Um, while still working for the Lord, while still doing ministry, I will walk and chew gum at the same time. Why are you saying all this, Brother Reimer? Well, I'm saying this because we have to understand in the context, the patience of God. So on the one hand, you've got God's justice, but God is also full of his love and compassion for his creation. So now he has a problem because by one man's disobedience, sin entered the world and death passed upon all men. Okay, that's not what God wants for humanity. That's not what God wants for his creation. But sin is distorted, so he has to judge sin. Uh, in Genesis 18, when Abraham is walking with God, and he says, "Shall God tell God?" I mean, Abraham says to God, "Shall not the Judge of all the earth do right?" Okay, so 
God is going to do right by his creation, which means when there is sin, there has to be judgment. It has to be dealt with. Wow. Okay. So what do we do here? How do we handle this? Now, if God judges his creation, he'd have to destroy everything. That's how God judges. That's what creation calls for. That's what sin calls for. Death. Destruction. But God doesn't want to do death and destruction. He prefers to have mercy and not sacrifice. So what does he do? How do you reconcile the justice of God with the mercy of God? And, and he solved that problem in Christ. Where he satisfied his justice. Christ because, taking the full on wrath of almighty god for our on our behalf and impacting creation as well and now he can have mercy upon us but up until christ came what are some of the ways in which god in his wisdom and in his grace and in his knowledge restrained evil how did he do that and i've said this to you in a couple other podcasts if you go back to the um podcast I did on covenants part one and part two you'll see how God did that I explained to you so basically there are a couple of ways that God restrains evil in the world uh, in in the book of Genesis I believe it's chapter six let me look that up make sure um yeah, this is kind of impromptu, so I, I'm doing this extemporaneously right off the top of my head today. I was busy doing some other things, and, you know, time just gets away from you. But this has to be done. So just be a little patient with me here. Genesis chapter 6. And let's read that. All right, sister, read Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. All right, up until that point, people were living to 900, 800 years, according to Scripture. But then in the sixth chapter, God sees the wickedness of man beginning to spread in the earth. So the first thing God does to, to retard the spread of evil is he shortens the, the lifespan. Only do so much in a certain amount of time. Can you imagine Hitler for 900 years? Who wants to live with that? Even 120 years. But God reduced the lifespan of man down to 120 years. So that's the first thing God does is he cuts down the lifespan. And if you know later on after that, after the flood, it goes to cut down even more to uh, 70. Okay, so, um, and that to shorten, shorten the, the spread of evil in the earth. Now, through medicine and technology, there's some people obviously that live longer than that. This is not a hard and fast set rule. But you don't see people living past 120. That, that just doesn't happen. If you do, it's like you're so old and that you're not conquering anything. Yeah, if you had those kind of aspirations, that, that's not going to happen. But God says, my, my spirit shall not strive with, shall not abide in, in man forever, because he is flesh, and so God shortens his days. Let's read on here a little bit. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things, and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah find favor in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, so it, 
wickedness increases in the earth and God is in a position now where he has to judge it because God is righteous and holy. He can do, he can't, he can do no other. Now notice now, God doesn't judge right away because he's slow to anger. People think that in the Old Testament that all God was doing was destroying and killing. But what they failed to realize, look how many years and how long God was patient before the, the killing and the destroying started. That's mercy, people. That's grace. God gives man space and time to repent, to get his act together. Okay, so if you're talking at least 900, almost 1,000 years uh, plus, actually, because there were multiple generations between Adam and, and Noah's time. And people were living 900 years and all that kind of stuff. So you're talking about a lot of generations where God was just very patient with mankind and didn't destroy the planet. Okay, so by the time he gets to Noah, let's say, say hypothetically, maybe 6,000, you know, so many, uh, 2,000, 3,000 years or so have passed by. All right, I'll, I'll go, I'll work with the young earthers. I'll, I'll go with you all today, even though I'm an old earther. But that's another discussion. And it's not a heaven or hell issue, so. But let's go with the young earth theory. All right, so they would say man has been here about six, 7,000 years, whatever. So all right, so let's say about 2,000 years. That's still a lot of time that God was waiting for man to get his act together. Okay, and for people to call upon the name of the Lord. And there were people at that time who were calling upon the name of the Lord and worshiping God properly. Well, thank God, but you know, God is just. And look at God. Now, God finds Noah. God always finds that guy that has favor in his eyes. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are right towards him. So God finds Noah, and Noah finds favor in in God's sight. And we all know the story of the ark. Now, at the end of the destruction of the, of the world, God sets, makes a covenant with man. So that's the second way that God uh slows down or restrains his his judgment right because man is wicked and the, the thoughts of our, of our heart are evil continuously believe me we we're we're hell bent okay so what did he do cuz i got to i got to deal with sin so first number 1 he reduces the lifespan now it drops it to 120 later on to 7 and what you see that in the psalms Okay, the second thing he does after he destroys the earth, he sets a rainbow in the sky and he sets up a covenant. So God sets up covenants to protect to protect us from the wrath of God. That hear, hear it again. The covenants that God sets up protects us from the wrath of God. That's the whole point of the covenants. Most of the covenants, there is no, excuse me, most of the covenants, there are no prerequisites, except for one. One co covenant in particular. Uh, and you say, well, the Abrahamic covenant, he does talk about circumcision, but that's the sign of the covenant, that you're under the covenant of God. It's, it's the circumcision. It's more of a sign um, that you're under, under the Abrahamic covenant. And yes, if you're not, you see what happened to Moses. God almost killed him. Because he didn't circumcise his children. He didn't bring them under the Abrahamic covenant. That's how important those covenants are to God. Because without the covenants, God would have to kill you. So uh, his wife, uh, Moses' wife, Zipporah, circumcised the kids. Uh, so God won't kill her husband. And this is after God just sent him to go deliver the children of Israel. So, And because he didn't do it, the covenant wasn't there. So God said, well, i got to kill you. I guess God would have got somebody else. But, you know, thank God for the wife. She saved the day. But the covenants are usually something, if there's any requirement, something simple as circumcision. But that's it. There's no laws. God didn't give any law to Abraham. He didn't say, thou shall not do this, thou shall not do that. He just told Abraham, here's what I'm going to do for you, and that's it. Oh, by the way, just circumcise your kids is a sign of the covenant. Okay, and, and we're going to get to the Sinai Covenant in a minute because I want you to see, to, this, to get a good understanding of why God drove these people out of the land. Now, God, in his covenant to Abraham, said, I'm going to give this land to you and your seed forever. So God bound himself because if God did not promise that land to them forever, um, 
he would have utterly destroyed them and there would not be any Jews left on the planet whatsoever. That's why God did it. So the Abrahamic covenant and then also the, the Davidic covenant protected Judah. When we say Jews, Jews is short for Judah. Uh, during the, in, uh, when the Syrians came out of the north and of uh, Syria and took over uh, the, the 10 kingdoms to, to the north, after Israel had had this, her own civil war and, and split into two separate kingdoms, the 10 tribes were taken away and we don't know where they are to this day. And I've asked a couple of rabbis, so what tribe are you? Where are the other 10 tribes? And they tell me they don't know. They said, all they know is that they're Judah. But the rabbis that I've spoken to said, we don't know. Uh, there is rumors of some Levites in Ethiopia, which would stand to reason if, in fact, the Ark of the Covenant is there, because that will be returned. Uh, but that's another prophetic study. Also, in addition to that, if Judah in the southern kingdom had the temple down there in Jerusalem, then it, some Levites would have had to also have survived inside of Judah. So, otherwise, they could have been doing the temple sacrifices, etc., all right, so, so far so good. So God makes the covenant, and we see the Davidic covenant, which you go to do. I'm not going to read them again here today. Just go to my other podcast on on the covenants, and I cover the, all the various covenants, uh, the ones that are important. Not I didn't cover all of them, but I covered the ones that are major. But the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, are two covenants that kept God from destroying the children of Israel. All right. Uh, also, every time you see a world-ending event, such as the flood, etc., that's God. Uh, and notice now, God didn't destroy everyone. But when you see those world-ending events, that's because God had to act to slow the process of evil down. Because he has a timetable. Well, first he wants people to see it saved. And he wants a... a uh, people being saved from every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. And, and thirdly, or secondly, he wants to, uh, he wants to have mercy upon mankind and bring the redemption. Okay, so redemption has to come. So God has a fullness of time and when he's going to do things. Let's, let's look at Abraham, for example. Uh, in the 15th chapter of, of, of Genesis, when God makes the Abrahamic covenant, he, he prophesies to him. He tells Abraham, he says, listen, you're going to, your people are going to be oppressed in, in Egypt for 400 years. And at the end of 400 years, I'm going to come and visit them and I'll come get them out. So God, and then he tells Abraham why he says, because the, the land's not ready for possession yet. God is prepping that land for Israel to take possession of it. He says the, the, the sins of the Amalekites has not yet come to fruition. So let's look at that. Um, let's go down here. I'm going to read it and have it read in your hearing because I think it's important for us to read the scriptures too. So, um, so Abraham makes the sacrifice, he sets it up, and he falls. So we'll start here at verse 12, 15, 12 of Genesis. But read the whole chapter uh, when you get a chance. But here we go, 15, 12 of Genesis. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. You hear that? 
the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God was going to wait 400 plus years before he put the people in the land. He said in the fourth generation, that's when they're going to bring him into the land. Because I'm waiting for the iniquity of the Amorites to come to fruition yet. So evidently sin is like a fruit, I guess. And it stays on the vine and it ripens. And when it's time to be ripe, ripen, then you thrust in the harvest, the sickles, and you harvest. Uh, you see that imagery in, in Revelations as well. So for whatever reasons, there's a timetable where certain things just have to grow and come to its fullness before God will harvest it. And maybe that's one of the lessons we learned from farming. Regard, you know, the, you, you, grow, you put your plants in, he says, tares and wheat. They said, shall we pull up the tares? He said, no, because they're going to pull up the wheat with it. So I'm going to let them grow together. And when the fullness of time comes, when I'm ready, then I'm going to uh, bring judgment. So one of the other things that God does is he sets timetables, limits. So throughout the Old Testament, God is having nothing but patience with sin. 400 years I'm waiting. A thousand years we're waiting. And how many thousands of years did it take before Christ came on the scene? So God has a timetable, and he has not yet returned. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish. And the church, the time of the Gentiles, has not yet closed. Although it seems we may be coming to that closing uh, sooner than we think. Do you understand what I'm saying here, saints? This, this is, uh, God has a timetable. And so God... So let's review here. So number one, he shortens lifespan. Number two, sets up timetables, right? A certain amount of time, I'm going to be patient with mankind. And, and, you know, but there is a cutoff point. It's not forever, but there is a cutoff point. And then the other thing I'm going to set up is covenant so that I don't have to destroy my people. For the sinners, they get a shortened lifespan and they get a timetable for when God is coming to deal with them. So they have a window of opportunity to repent. But for the people of God, God sets up covenants, which is a little bit better, so he doesn't have to destroy us completely or utterly. In this particular case, it's the nation of Israel. Okay. So then God establishes the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant. The other way that God protects us from his wrath is intercession. In Genesis chapter 18, uh, let's take a look at that. I'll let, in fact, let's just read it. It's best to just read the scriptures and let it talk to you for itself instead of hearing me yap on. Uh, let's look at the scriptures and see what it actually says. And it's also important to see that I'm not making this stuff up. Okay, so the Lord appears to Abraham by the tent of Mamre, three men. So the theophany is the appearance of Christ in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, he comes there with two angels. Two angels go into Sodom to go check things out. And then, meantime, Abraham is left uh, in there uh, alone with the Lord. Okay, now look what happens. Okay. So they prepare a meal, have, have communion. They're, this is communion. They're having communion with him. And then God tells him, where's your wife? And then God tells him, you're going to have a child. And then Sarah laughs. We all know about that. Okay, and uh, God says, anything too hard for God. And then at that point, after they, they have their little communion, the two men set out from there, and they look down towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, and Abraham went to see them, set them on their way. He was being hospitable, good good host, and you send your, your people on, the your, your guests on their way. Now, Genesis eighteen seventeen. Look what happens here. Genesis 17, yeah. All right, let's read. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, 
I will go down to see whether they have done all together, according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the man turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place, and not spare it, for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. It Did you hear that? God said, I will spare the entire wicked city for fifty righteous people. Of course, he didn't find them there, but that's another way God slows down the spread of evil. In some instances, when there are righteous people, there are godly people, God will protect that city, not because the city deserves it, but because he has his people there. But as you'll see later on, God sometimes will do will remove his people. Now, the only righteous man in there, and, and he's righteous because the Bible calls him righteous Lot, was his nephew, Lot. And the Bible says he was righteous. So I'm going to leave it right there. Now, all this is part of the Abrahamic covenant because Lot eventually, uh, so, so Abraham's intercession saves Lot. Couldn't save the city, but at least it saved his nephew. His nephew escapes, and the daughters are so twisted by having lived in that city, they decide, let's get our father drunk and have, and have sex with him so he can give us babies, and, uh, which is gross, yuck, but all right. But now, those are the Moabites who are born of that. And the great-great-grandmother of King David was Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. So when she meets Boaz, uh, they beget Obed, and then Obed begets Jesse, and Jesse begets David. And then, Christ, you know, Christ comes through the Davidic line. So Abraham's intercession set up, saved the Davidic line through which Messiah was to come, metaphorically speaking, sort of speaking. So the, one of the ways that God works in the earth is through the intercession of God's people. I sought for a man to stand in the gap and to make up a hedge that I would not destroy the land, it says in Isaiah. So God is looking for a man to stand in the gap and to make up the hedge. So intercession. So we got covenants to guarantee that God will keep a remnant. I won't destroy everybody. You've got... Uh, and now you've got intercession. And we see it again when the people of Israel in the 32nd, 32, 33, and 34 chapters of Exodus, you see the intercession of Moses, one of the greatest examples of intercession in the scriptures, second only to the intercession, intercession of Christ in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. Intercession, that's one of the ways that God reconciles this idea of I want to have mercy but my justice called but my, my character calls for justice and so to slow the process of God's justice on the earth and where God can have mercy without annihilating everybody is intercession we are a nation of priests we are a nation of intercessors um, you know I know they have the term intercessors in the church but frankly speaking if you're saved, if you're born of God's Holy Spirit, one of your priestly duties is intercession. You intercede for your loved ones. You intercede for your family. Job says, I, I don't know what sins my kids may have committed. So he would make sacrifice for them. Just in case he did something stupid. And any believer knows if you got children, you're constantly interceding, asking God to have mercy upon them because young people tend to make mistakes and do stupid things. Okay? Um, so yes, intercession is one of the ways in which God allows us to participate, uh, in terms of staying the wrath of God 
and keeping the hand of God from judging people and killing people. We intercede and we pray for our nation. I hope you pray for the United States and pray for our Congress. Whatever political side that you're on, they just pray that God's will will be done. Because he's not going to do what God's not going to do what the Democrats want, and he ain't going to do what the Republicans want, and he ain't going to do what the Trumpsters want. God's going to do what he wants. But you pray for his will to be done. Whatever, whatever the outcome. So yes, that's how God works in the world. So you've got covenants and you've got intercession. Now, enter the Sinai covenant or the covenant of Moses, whatever you want to call it, which we find in Deuteronomy 28. Let me say this again. Deuteronomy 28, that covenant, those scriptures that people like to read, blessing the city, blessing the field, it does not apply to the church. I'm making that case. That's right, I said it. It does not apply to the church. You cannot run around claiming that and saying, oh, you know, all the covenants are part. No, if you live under that covenant, you have just damned yourself. Because under that covenant, it's the only covenant that requires you to do something in terms of your salvation. And if you don't do it, then you're, you're damned. Oh, wait, there's none righteous, no, not one. We've all together turned aside. We've all together become as an unclean thing. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. I do not live under that covenant. That was a, and secondly, it's a national covenant for a nation, not an individual. It is a national covenant. So what is God doing? He's doing two things. Number one, the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, to show us that we can't. The righteousness that God requires can't cannot be obtained by good works. That's, that's just not happening. You read this, you read the laws of God, and you just realize that that's just not happening. Not gonna happen. Okay. Second of all, God wants to keep the land pure, right? Because it's the holy land. It's amazing. I think Jerusalem's been invaded like fifty-five times or some crazy figure like that. J Jerusalem means city of peace. Jeru means city. And Salem means peace, and yet the city of peace has seen nothing but war. But one day, when the Prince of Peace comes to her, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come and ransom captive Israel. Now, God still has something for the Jewish nations. By the way, the church has not replaced Israel. Israel still has a place in the heart of God. God is going to bring them back into the land. He's going to get them right. But operative word here, God is going to do it. Don't you try to do it. Let God handle it. Er, handled. Let God handle it. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the Jewish nation, the Jewish peoples. But we also intercede for the salvation of the Palestinian people, of the Arab peoples. We pray for them as well, for their salvation. Let me say this. Probably getting a little ahead of myself. Not all the Palestinians are, are Muslim. There are Christians in there. What happens to them? Where do they go? Number two, during the diaspora, the Jewish diaspora, not all the Jews left the land. Some of them stayed there. So some of these Palestinians are descendants of the Jews that stayed there. Hmm. They're not Philistines. Somebody told me they're Philistines. The land was called, Palestine does refer to the Philistines because the Philistines possessed it before the Jews got there. So yeah. The, and the Romans, I guess being disrespectful, called it Palestine. They didn't want to say it was a Jewish, it was a Jewish homeland. And so they call it Palestine. But these are not Philistines. Philistines were destroyed. They don't, they're not here anymore. Okay. So, some of them are descendants of Jews that were there. Now, what has happened, what I have been told, I do not know if this is true or not, but I do remember Madeleine Albright when she was Secretary of State for, I believe it was Bill Clinton. 
She was raised as a Catholic, thought she was Catholic, and then later on in life discovered that she was Jewish. I don't know if she did 23 and Me or whatever, but somehow she found out. So there are such instances where Jews who fled persecution were tired of being persecuted simply because they were Jewish. So there were some, there were some, not, not a vast majority, but there were some who just converted to another religion, didn't tell their children they were Jewish, and just let it be at that so they could not have to have the fear of persecution. A Holocaust was no joke. It was horrible and never should have happened, but it did. Having said that, it is possible. Now, from what I understand, uh, from what I've been reading and researching, some of the, when the Islam came through, a lot of the Jews were second-class citizens and couldn't get food and, and certain benefits under the new Islamic government. So in order to save the lives of themselves and their children, they converted to Islam so they could be full-fledged citizens and get the things that they needed. I don't judge people for doing these types of things because if you're not under that type of persecution, you don't know how you're going to react until till you're actually in that situation. So, and then tell their children. So there may be some Muslim, Palestinian Muslims who are actually Jews as well. That's what I mean. The egg is scrambled. Who can unscramble this thing? So it's not just so cut and dry as we would like it to be. All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. They shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. Therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you, in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation, you shall not respect the old, or show mercy to the young. It shall eat the offspring of your cattle, and the fruit of your ground, until you are destroyed. It also shall not leave you grain, wine, or oil, the increase of your herds, or the young of your flock, until they have caused you to perish. They shall besiege you in all your towns, until your high and fortified walls, in which you trusted, come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you in all your towns throughout all your land, which the Lord your God has given you. And you shall eat the fruit of your womb, the flesh of your sons and daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you, in the siege and in the distress with which your enemy shall distress you. The man who is the most tender and refined among you will begrudge food to his brother, to the wife he embraces, and to the last of the children whom he has left. That's Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 45 to 54. But read from, when you get a chance, read the whole chapter. And about verse 15, the curses start. And they're much longer than the blessings. And there's a reason for that. God said, I'm going to put a yoke of iron on you. That's the Roman Empire. That, that's the nation of iron. And the symbol of the Roman Empire is also an eagle. And he said that the Roman would t utterly destroy them, which he did in 70 AD. The, the general Titus sacked Jerusalem and scattered them to the ends of the earth. And they did not, they've been gone, scattered globally, right up until 1948, when the, the homeland was recreated for them. I'm almost certain partially spurred on by the Holocaust. There's a return to the land, but that's only phase one. There's a, a return to God and then a return to Messiah. So it's still going through the phases. Um, you know, I, I was watching that a video on the on the on the the rave party they were having in Israel when Hamas came across the border. You see a big
big giant statue of Buddha. And that tells me these people have not returned to God yet. What is a statue of Buddha doing in Israel? It doesn't belong there. Okay, and so God brings judgment and he scatters him to the ends of the earth. Now, yes, it is possible that uh, when the diaspora came, some of them went down into Africa. And so it's high, highly possible that some of the people in the, who were in, in the African slave trade uh, who were brought to the Caribbean and who were uh, brought up here to the United States, some of those may very well be descendants of part of that Jewish diaspora. But here's what you cannot say. You cannot say that everybody that was brought over here during the African diaspora is part of the Jewish diaspora. Some, not all. Um, as far as I know, I don't, I, I, you know, my family was dropped off in the Caribbean. As far as I know, I have no Jewish blood in me whatsoever. But, but I know that I'm descended from those who were taken, who were enslaved. Okay, so, um, yeah, so everybody's not Jewish. So when you got these groups running out here and black man is a Jew, I reject that. Some, yes, but it can't be all. But then some of them went into Europe. So some are Europeans, some Turks, some whatever, because they were scattered globally. This is how it works. They mixed and mingled with other peoples, and then that, I don't know how that works out. To what? How much DNA do you have to have to be qualified as being Jewish? So my point is the eggs are scrambled. Back to scrambled eggs again. We don't know. And only God can fix this mess. Okay. And only God, God ruling himself, the only one who really knows who's who in the zoo. But what I wanted you to see is, is why is this happening to Israel now, the diaspora? Is because they violated the covenant on Sinai. And as a result of that, this is why we are where we are. Now in the book of Joshua, I believe the 24th chapter, um, Joshua gives an exhortation to the people. He rehearses everything to them, their history, and uh, how God's going to destroy the people who are in the land before them because the time had come. Okay. So, Joshua makes a plea to the people. This is Joshua chapter 24, starting about verse 14. Let's take a listen to that. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. Okay. So evidently they were still worshiping the Egyptian gods and some other gods it was a mixed multitude that came out so they were still bringing some of their gods along with them that had not entirely been purged out of Israel so Joshua says okay now we're getting ready to go into the land 
God's been kind of winking at some stuff, but you're going to have to let these gods go. And we can we can go in and possess the land, but you got to put all that stuff away from you. And they said, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said, no, you're not. And then they said, yes, we are. And then what did Joshua say? You are witnesses today against yourself. So they said they were going to, they, they accepted the Sinai covenant. They accepted the Sinai covenant. And as a result, when they disobeyed him, then things went south. Now, let's go over here to the book of Judges. And they continue to, to conquer Canaan. But here's something very interesting here that, that keeps getting repeated over and over and over again in the book. Uh, which is very interesting. All right, Judges, let's see chapter 2. Yep. So they make a false covenant with another nation. And God says, I'm not going to drive these people out before you. And then uh, later on, uh, Joshua dies at the age of 110. Now, as soon as Joshua dies, as soon as Joshua dies, here's what happens. Okay, this is Judges chapter 2, starting at verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers, who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Okay, so God judged them. Then they would cry out to God, and God would send them a deliverer, or judge, or a messiah, meaning a messiah, a type of. And they would get delivered. And that's the cycle of judges. They would sin. God go into captivity. Be oppressed by their enemies. They cry out to God. God sent them a deliverer. And after they get delivered, they go right back to doing what they were doing before. And this is throughout the entire book of Judges. And you go through the entire New Testament. The only golden era they had was under David and uh, and Solomon, and after that, it's just it's just downhill from there. But look how patient God was with them. For hundreds and hundreds of years, God was patient with them, and then finally he sends Assyria, which takes the northern kingdom, and then God sends Babylon, which eventually takes Judah into captivity. And then they come back out under the Persian Empire, and they get restored as a nation again. Okay. And then when the Greeks come, the, that's when they have the abomination of desolation. Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes goes in there and he sacrifices a pig on the altar to to uh, to Zeus and uh, desecrates the temple. But w during the return under Ezra and Nehemiah. Israel was pretty moderate. They were pretty even keel on an even keel at that point. They hadn't really went, you know, out, went kind of crazy. Uh, but here's the thing, and I I, I got this from uh, Fighting from the Faith podcast. You want to look it up, it's on YouTube. The guy is, this, this pastor is excellent. I think he's a Lutheran pastor, but he's really good. And I like his stuff. And um, so I want to give credit where credit is due. 
And he did a thing on, if you scroll down, you see, I think it was like two or three weeks ago, he did a thing on Palestine. And he talked about the Pharisees. So, so after Malachi, there's 400 years of silence. And there are some rebellions. That's where you get the Book of Maccabees and and you get the, um, you know, where God performs the miracles and, and kind of from uh, some of the Jewish stories and the revolts against um, the various empires, uh, you know, the Grecian Empire and then the Roman Empire, uh, which comes after the, the Grecian Empire. And you have that conquest. But for 400 years, there's dead silence. I mean, you don't hear anything from God, God in between the te- Old and New Testaments. God's not saying anything. Now, based on what he his studies, and I believe he's correct, about 160 years before Jesus shows up is when the Pharisees show up. There, there is no record of the Pharisees anywhere in the Old Testament. You have the Sanhedrin, the first 70 advisors to Moses. That was the Sanhedrin. You have the high priests. But what you don't have is Pharisees. Where did the Pharisees come from? The Pharisees believed that there were two Torahs. One is the written Torah, which we have, the first five books of Moses. Then there is oral tradition that Moses passed down, allegedly orally. Now suddenly, nobody in Israel is talking about this. Only about 160 years or so before Christ comes, these guys pop up and suddenly, all of a sudden, now have this oral tradition, which has been now written in the Talmud and the, um, gosh, the book slips my mind, Uh, the Mishnah and the Talmud. And that's where the oral traditions are, which is just, they're really just commentaries on the Old Testament as well. They really are just like we would write a commentary today, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But where it goes off the rail, and then you go over to the Mark's gospel, that uh, you go to, to Mark where the gospel of Mark, where Jesus' disciples are confronted because they were they didn't wash their hands. They're in the cornfield or whatever, and they're eating. And the Pharisees say, "Your why your disciples did not wash their hands, you know, as is our custom." Now, the custom of hand-washing is not in the fir- anywhere in the Torah, the first five books of Moses. What the Pharisees did through this oral tradition, the Mishnah and the, and the Talmud, was add on tradition and elevated tradition equal to the Word of God. Now, traditions are not bad, but just as long as you understand that your tradition cannot be equal to the Word of God, they're not the same. And Jesus rebuked him for it. He said, you, you, you make your, your traditions equal to the commands of God. He said, so you obey your traditions, but you don't obey God's commands. So what am I saying? The Pharisees were, was a form of apostate Judaism. It wasn't even biblical Judaism. These guys had went so far off the rail. And in the 23rd chapter, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. And then at the end of the chapter, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you under under, uh, under my wings as a chick gathers her, 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 hen, her, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to, to you, that from henceforth you shall not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus cursed that nation. He said, you're not going to see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He said, God said, I'm going to send them prophets. I'm going to send them, uh, you know, all kinds of people to to get them right. And so God was patient for hundreds and thousands of years with this nation. And they just didn't get it. And then finally he sends his son and they kill him. They reject him. It wasn't the fact that, of course, he has to die for the sins of the world, and that's the way it had to go down. But they just outright rejected him. How do you know? Well, when Pilate was was crucifying Christ, and he was trying to decide between Jesus and Barabbas, and Pilate says, you know, what shall we do with this man, Jesus? 
you know, because he hasn't done anything. So, you know, hey, you know, people, let's, let's, you know, what, what do you guys want me to do? Right? Because I guess he delivered the pilot. Now, I'm going to see if I can find that here for you right quick. Jesus stands before Pilate. And then uh, let's look at this. Matthew 27, verse 15. Let's see what it says. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas, or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released... Did you hear that? The people said, His blood be upon us and upon our children. They cursed themselves. So you can see there's a whole case being built against this nation of Israel. That's why God established Abrahamic and Davidic covenant, because the only thing that has saved this nation is those two covenants. God said he, he, they would possess the land forever, and that the son of David would sit on the throne. The scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. And so Judah has been spared. We don't even know where the other ten tribes are. I'm sure they're there. God knows how to find them. And of course, obviously, he spared Judah. Those are the only two reasons why these people still exist to this day. That's why God establishes covenants. So, that's how we got here, historically, to the point where we are right now. And so what you see going on in the Middle East, we'll look at a little bit more prophecies about significance of Israel in prophecy, what God is going to do with her, and then we'll close it out. So this is chapter 3, and then we will close it out on next week, and we'll talk a little bit more about who are the true Jews. Thank you once again for listening to this edition of The Sword and the Spirit. Let me just exhort you. If you don't know Christ and the forgiveness of your sin, it doesn't matter, Jew or Gentile, you have to come to Christ God's way. The Bible says, Behold the goodness and severity of God. Now, I know this seemed kind of a dark chapter in their history, but let me say this. God said Israel was the apple of his eye. God has not forgotten the Jewish nation or the Jewish people. And because on the basis of the covenants, God is going to save uh save them as a nationally he will restore them to the land and god will fight for them the abrahamic covenant still stands god will bless those who bless him and curse those who curse them and then through them all the nations of the earth will be blessed and that we we are blessed because of them because they gave us messiah they gave us christ and through them came the savior of the world but god is holy and he will deal with his people but let's let God deal with them and let's just stay out of the way. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We do what we can to help and to be a blessing. But at the same time, God's going to do what He what he's going to do. This is the time of the Gentiles. But God will restore them as a nation and bring them back. And he will anoint some evangelists in that nation. And they will continue on the work of preaching said gospel. 
on a global scale. So I don't mean to sound disparagingly towards them as a nation, but just simply seeing what God has said and see what God is doing. And in the fullness of time, God will bring these things to pass and um, for the nation of Israel. So stay strong. And I do deeply appreciate anyone who listens to this podcast. I thank you so much. Uh, and I appreciate those of you who financially support it. Thank you so much. You didn't think it robbery to uh, help this poor preacher. <laughs> and uh, I thank you for that. So give God glory. And more podcasts to come. We'll be going to very soon. Keep me in prayer. We're going to go to video. We will be on YouTube on a regular as well. And we'll also be bringing in some more interviews. So, uh, just praise and thank God, and that's coming soon. So stick around. The best is yet to come. And as you know, we're committed to truth in this podcast. No nonsense, no foolishness, no theatrics, no dog and pony show, no clown show here. We try to deal with the facts. So, But always vet me. Be, be an active, not a passive listener. Always vet me and vet everybody that you listen to. And go see that podcast, Fighting for the Faith. It's excellent, excellent, excellent podcast. Great A stuff. Uh, I learned so much from this guy, listening to this guy. He's very good. Uh, also listen to Don Hill, the Love Six Scribe. That's another podcast I want to endorse and tell you to go and listen to it as well. And the Roy's Report. So God bless you. And thank you for listening. Until we meet again, God bless.